Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is David Eastall and this is the C86 Show. Once again, we have another thrilling instalment that is the ever-expanding and interesting world that is indie pop. This week's special guest is going to be Heather Nova, who I spoke to a few weeks ago to find out more about life, love, poetry and all that other groovy sort of stuff. So I'm going to bring you that interview, probably broken up into three easy to digest little segments for your enjoyment. But to get the party rolling, I think we should play one of your favourites of mine. Yes, you've guessed it. This is a track taken from the album Oyster and this is Walk This Way.
And that was Heather Nova with a track titled Walk This World that came out um, on her 1994 album, Oyster, that we went out, bought, loved, and went, this is going to be my new best friend, Heather Nova. Anyway, this is David Eastall. This is the C86 Show. And this week's special guest, as you probably guessed, is Heather Nova, who I spoke to quite recently. We went out to... Bermuda, indeed, the first time. So um, we did that interview. We uh, no expense spared on this show, I can tell you, and um, had a chat, find out about life, love, poetry. And um, that interview is going to come very soon, in fact, after the next track. But before that, we'll have some admin. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter. Just go to at C86show. Um, and also I'm on Instagram as well, probably the same. And all the shows have been archived, so you can find them on Pod been Mixcloud, Spotify and iTunes. Just go to at C86show. Anyway, Heather Nova has been busy. She's got a new album out and also some dates, but we won't spill the party quite yet. But this is taken from the new album. Uh, This is The Wounds We Bleed and the album is Pearl.
and that's the track titled The Wounds We Bled. That was Heather Nova, and that was also the opening track to her new album titled Pearl. And if you want to know any more information about what she's up to at the moment, um, she has a very good website, which is Heather Nova. Um, I could give you the address, couldn't I, actually? Heather Nova. Dot com. You can't fail. And also she's probably on various um, social media platform sites. Anyway, this is going to be the first part of my interview with Heather Nova, um, where we had been establishing where we both were in the world. She was in Bermuda. I was in Norwich. She was kind of interested in that because apparently one of her drummers once came from Norwich. And then I asked her that important question, the background and her early years. This is it. Take it away, Heather. I grew up, you know, in Bermuda and actually in the Caribbean living on a, on a boat. Um, and really I credit my, um, becoming a songwriter with two things. One I think was being faced with the potential of boredom. And I, I think that's a great, um, precursor to creativity because, you know, there we were on a boat, no entertainment, no TV, uh, nothing. And so I started to write songs and um, became immersed in it. And and the other thing was that my parents had a fantastic record collection. And when I say records, before we moved on the boat, they had LPs and then my mother taped them all onto a cassette. Um, and so we had this little cassette player, which was our only electric um, device on, on the boat. We had a wind generator on the mast and it powered the tape deck. So music was a big part of our lives and um that that was how I got my start yes and and when you were sort of um getting in kind of starting to immerse yourself in the record collection I mean um yes my early years was kind of my mother used to listen to radio too which was kind of at that time in the 60s and there was a lot of stuff which was like the Carpenters and Burt Backrack, which I realised I was really lucky with because, you know, those those are the uh, early songs that I listened to. And then I was, you know, my brother's record collection started to appeal and he had the, you know, the Beatles, Sgt Pepper and, um, uh, yes, Elton John's Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. But it was kind of seeing David Bowie on top of the pops, more in the sort of, um, you know, doing Space Oddity. Um, that that was kind of my first love. So, what were the, the kind of the, your parents' so, musical journey? Yeah, they they had sort of Neil Young, Cat Stevens, Simon and Garfunkel, Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, um, the Beatles, um, and that was that was sort of their collection, which was fantastic singer songwriters and just you know great poetic artists. And um, it's funny you say that about David Bowie because yeah, for me it was. That, that's what I grew up with, but then once I sort of and, and was out on my own, it was David Bowie and Patti Smith and Kate Bush who really inspired me and, and fired me up. Yeah. And it, it wasn't really till you know, I went to art college, and it wasn't really till after art college that I had um, one of those moments where I just realized, wait a second, I really want to pursue my, my songwriting. And, and I had no training. I, I wish I'd gone to music college, actually. But um, I was just self-taught, and I'd just always written songs because it felt good. Um, but I realized that's what I wanted to do. And um, so knowing absolutely nothing, I, uh, <laughs> I set out on that journey. Yes. And you found yourself coming to London. Well, yeah, and that was kind of a happy accident. I mean, I... I had gone to art college um, on the East Coast in, in the States, and 
I was literally trying to get as far away from my ex-boyfriend as possible. And my, my girlfriend was living in um, London in, in a squat. And she said, oh, come on over and, and, and stay with me. And so I did. And with my guitar. And uh, I never looked back. I kind of was there for 15 years. So that's where I signed my first record deal and started playing gigs was, was London. Fantastic. And what a hotbed it was. At that, I mean, I guess it always has been, always will, but in the early 90s, I mean, there was just so much incredible stuff going on musically, and it was so exciting and so inspiring. And um, the first few gigs I did was just myself and a, and a guitar, and I was so painfully shy and nervous that I would literally turn my back to the audience. Um, but then I, I put a band together and that kind of helped me to relax and come out of my shell and just more lose myself in the music. And then I started to really enjoy the whole performing thing. And I'm glad that I kind of started as a live artist and worked from there. Well, I guess I started as a songwriter, then moved into live performance and then got a record deal because it was kind of a nice organic, real way to, um, to start a record deal. Yeah, so you must have been in London during that whole period of the... I suppose you had two... In, in the UK, you had two sides. You had that kind of very mainstream side, which was kind of that Trevor Horn kind of production. It was like big sounds with Duran Duran, Spandau Ballet and the Wham sound. And then you had the indie kids, and I was very much part of that world of the Smith Secure, you know, coming from Joy Division and people like that. But then during that later period of the 80s, you had a more of a dance scene with the, you know, Stone Roses and Happy Mondays and Soup soup dragons and then obviously from seattle you must have started seeing that first wave of sonic youth and kurt cobain and and the line yeah i mean i didn't move to london till the till the early 90s and so yeah i i absolutely remember the very first time hearing hearing nirvana and and then i saw them at reading i played played reading that same year and um and yeah and so so the grunge thing but also the brit pop thing of course happening around then and um yeah i mean i was living in like um catford at first <laughs> not knowing when you first moved to london you have no idea where the nice bits are you just look in loot do you remember in loot magazine where you the classifieds where you found everything from guitars to flats and i lived in, in catford and i remember going down to lewisham and seeing pj harvey playing solo and you know there was just so much going on everywhere yes Absolutely. And obviously that that was an amazing period because 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 obviously Britpop coming back and there was a lot of fantastic singer songwriters that I'd become obsessed with. Like there was people like Dar Williams and Sarah McLaughlin. Um, right. and, they, and, and, and during the 80s, we had, you know, like Michelle Schacht and Tracy Chapman and right. Susan Vega and people like that. So so then you obviously sort of had a that kind of kind of influence but then you'd also started working with people like youth who'd also done some amazing work with James and went on to work with people um like you too as well hadn't he yeah and I you know and as you know I did my so I did my first album with youth and then I just did my recent one so 25 years in between working together and and there's something I don't know there's something we're so different really as people and he comes from that kind of punk rock background and I come from the kind of folky singer songwriter background and somehow when we merge um musically it's just it's a really cool cocktail <laughs> um 
And, you know, because I, I like to get the kind of really, I like to get some dirty guitars on my records and mix it up with my sort of, I guess, ethereal sounding voice, they say, um, and get that, that nice uh, combination. And Hugh gets really amazing pumping bass lines and, and, you know, so the rhythm tracks are great. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, because it, it was, I guess, for a lot of people, and, and this is myself anyway, is it was Oyster that really was the one that sort of brought you to a bigger audience, wasn't it? That's right. I made one record before that, which was called Glow Stars, and it was um, really a collection of demos that I made on an 8-track at home in, in Catford. Um, and that I put out, first of all, on, on Youth's label, Butterfly, and then I made. Then I went into Olympic Studios, which was amazing, with youth and a full band, and we made Oyster, and that was the most incredible experience. I, I kind of thought that was going to be it. I, I didn't actually realize I was ever going to make another record. It was like, oh my gosh, this I've, I'm happy now. <laughs> I've made an album in a big studio. Yes, and you were also signed for uh, in the UK. That was on Big Cat Records, wasn't it? So it was on oh, Big Cat. Big Life yeah. Records. I was on Big Cat first, then Big, then Butterfly, then Big Life. Then I signed to Sony in North America, and um, then V2 back in the UK. I've been on many different labels. Yes, the duo has been on record labels. So I'm not label at all. Now I'm independent, and that feels good. I would imagine you must feel much better with that, actually. Because actually, the one thing that I've, I've sort of, you know, discovered doing these interviews is, you know, there's the kind of doing the music. And if you're a, if you're in a band, there's the dynamics of being with the other people. Even if you started off with, you know, being good friends, it doesn't often end too well. But then there's also navigating the industry as well and sort of understanding the mechanics or at least the accounting and how it all works. So how did you cope with those? Because obviously things must have started to happen very quickly and sometimes it's not always easy to know what you're signing away. I was I was lucky to have a very good manager right from the start and and so he he guided me and he took took care of those things and um that was Abbo from Big Cat Records he he was my manager um for the first half of my career. Um so I didn't I didn't have to navigate the business side of things early on. Um, it wasn't until later. And I, I still have, I have another very good manager too, but obviously when you're independent, um, as an artist in terms of a record label, you do need to, to know more about what's going on. And, and, um, you know, I mean, you sort of learn it over time. You learn from your mistakes, you learn from, um, experience and, uh, yes, you know, it's been, it's been 25 years. So I, 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 figured some stuff out in that time <laughs> which is always a good thing actually 25 years isn't too bad some people include myself could take even longer anyway that's the first part of my interview with heather still um another two pieces to go or um, segments to go but i think we should break it up with some more music this is a track titled london rain and this was taken from her album siren and i think you're gonna love it To get home to you 
Stunning stuff. That's Heather Nova and the track titled London Rain, brackets, nothing heals me like you do, end bracket. Anyway, this is David Eastall. This is the C86 show. And this is going to be the second part of my interview with Heather, where I'd been rabbiting on like a demented rabbit um, about sort of the changing of uh, musical styles and trends that sometimes can completely throw an artist when there's a new best friend or new kid in town. And um, I was curious how she dealt with those kind of years when things um, when one minute people might be into indie pop one dance grunge etc etc and this was her answer heather how did you cope 
with those changing styles and changing Well, moods. I think I kind of fell between the cracks a lot of it, which, which worked both against me and for me because I was never really part of a trend. I mean, I think, yeah, sure, I was kind of thrown into that, oh, um, what did they call it, the the women singer-songwriters of, of the 90s, like the kind of um, Liz Fair, Alanis Morissette, that kind of, um, I forget, there was a catchphrase. Uh, <laughs> and journalists often put me into that. But I, I don't really feel like I was part of any one movement. And I just, I certainly wasn't consciously ever thinking of fitting in it to anything when I made records. I was just literally making the record that felt good to me. I was, I was following more like my, my inner, um, compass, like, like my instinct. And, and, and I'm sure I was influenced inadvertently by, by the music around me, but, but it wasn't conceptually something I was ever trying to, to be a part of any movement. So, so in doing so, I think that, um, I've, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I've just always, done my own thing and it's kind of worked out I mean I'm just really thankful to still be making records and and you know selling tickets to concerts it's it's actually amazing to me yes because that must be one of the nice things is that when you bring a new album out and you have a live some live dates that you are getting both you know people that were with you to begin with because obviously your music does mean so much, but also picking up a new audience as well who are sort of discovering you for the first time. So that also must feel really enjoyable. It feels really good. And, I'm, you know, I, I, I do feel very grateful. And I, I did a tour two years ago of Oyster. I thought it would be fun to go back and play just that album from start to finish. Um, and I did that. And... It was it was actually really emotional to, to do those shows because so many people came out and were come were coming afterwards and telling me a story about what the album had meant to them in their lives, you know, everything from you know, I, I don't know, you know, playing songs at, at their wedding and at their mother's funeral and it was one woman who played the album when her daughter was being born and, and just just you know, how music is is a soundtrack in our lives, obviously that's what music is. But when you hear the personal stories from people and it, it's, it's really touching actually. And, um, and so that was nice. And yeah. because for people who, who had first heard that record 20 years earlier and they were still coming back to the show. So, so that was very special for me. Well, that's, that's it's kind of interesting because one thing that I've noticed with a lot of people who, played and, and were in bands during that 80s period which you know work for that sort of I don't know four to five years you know released several albums did some fantastic stuff but things happened you know the, the band fell apart they just got disillusioned they also felt like they needed to sort of just go and do something else but I've sort of slowly started I've noticed a lot of bands have slowly started sort of coming back and either reforming or sort of having a new musical kind of lineup, I suppose. So so to stay in the music kind of world and business, you know, that's a bit of a horrible world, isn't word, um, is is an impressive thing because not many people do it. And I, I suppose people like, you know, David Bowie is is kind of my go-to person because he was kind of my first love and I have always, you know, thought he's incredible. And also people on another side is, is someone like Lemmy who was in Motorhead who I always thought was good because it was like they were going to do music 
and that was it. There was no kind of sort of plan B. So again, you've managed to sort of keep doing that and sort of keeping kind of not both, well, both creative, but also um, not letting that kind of, I don't know, it must be a lot of pressure because I've just recently, I watched a documentary on Kate Nash um, and she sort of went from the first album was huge to then suddenly several albums later had no money. The bank, you know, her manager ripped her off and then she had to sort of pick herself up again. So you've, you've done incredibly well to navigate all that and to keep going. I don't really feel like I have a choice. Like it's, it's, I have, um, I didn't have a backup plan. I don't, this is, this is all, this, it's not only my passion, but it's, it's, it's all I really know how to do. And so I just kept doing it and I kept making records and this is, so this is my 10th studio album. And, um, but it's also because songs keep coming to me, you know, I can't, they sort of, um, I always, the metaphor that comes to me, it's like a well or a spring. I feel like songs just keep springing. Um, and, and so I think as long as that keeps happening, I kind of honor them and write them down and record them. And I can't really imagine that ever stopping. So as long as I can continue to, I will. Yes. And the, the other thing, I remember many, de probably decades ago, hearing a conversation with people talking on the creative process and the, and the landscape that they were living in and how much that influenced the art they would produce. And I think this has a lot to do with not just writers, but mostly sort of visual artists as well. So obviously, you know, like, you know, or, or you could talk about sort of musicians because there were the bands from Manchester like Joy Division or The Smiths and people like that. And their music has a certain gloominess, a romantic gloominess. And then you listen to other bands from the West Coast and there was a bit more of a sunny side. So living on in, in Bermuda, how does that kind of shape your creative process? Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's, it's really in my, um, the, the it's the nature of Bermuda. It's the natural world. And uh, I feel like it's in my, in my soul. I mean, I, even when I was living in London, I would always come back here just to write because there's, I, in the city, I feel like I get disconnected from from myself in a way. So there's a song on my new record called Rewild Me, and I would say that's my other favorite. Um, and it's really about that that really fundamental connection that I feel with the natural world. And um, it's what grounds me. And I, I walk every day, and it's, it's walking that is the time when ideas start to flow yes. so so yeah I don't know it's a mysterious process but um I certainly enjoy it yeah it must be well it, you must just have such amazing horizons as well because it must just have such a clarity and the air must be so fresh the air is very sweet it's very soft and it smells of flowers I I it's a magical place truly yeah for a holiday <laughs> <laughs> well it's interesting because I did an interview with uh, youth quite recently and because um, he's you know he's got a phenomenal CV so it must be still nice to have that kind of connection with somebody that you started out with almost you know you know within the sort of production line so do you sort of when you kind of get together kind of chuckle about the fact that you're still able you're still walking talking and making music yeah, I'm walking and talking. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it was really a reconnection because we hadn't really seen each other in 20 years. And um, but he he seems to to be appreciating his connection with nature too because he's moved down to Spain 
and how we, that's where we made the record, um, was, was in the mountains of Spain in his studio, which was absolutely incredible, you know, looking out of the, the big plate glass windows of the live room um, across the mountains of Andalusia. It was, it was such an incredible privilege. Yes. And when you and when you were sort of putting this together, had you got all the material sort of kind of written yeah. and demoed? So it was a very sort of like, this is it, guys, we've got a, a tight schedule. Or, or were there things that you were doing before then or during then? No, I really had written all the songs and I had demoed them all. Um, and we had a pretty short window to record in, which which actually I think worked in the album's favor because it kept it fresh and, you know, there was no chance of it getting sort of overproduced or overcooked. And, and it, it, it came out with a really kind of nice, live, fresh feeling, I think. Not a true word spoken. That was um, Heather Nova and that's the second part of my interview. I think before we get to the end, I think we'll play one more track and then the last part. This is going to be, again, Heather... If you like her, fill your boots. If you don't, perhaps you uh, you should. So there you go. This is a track titled Like Lovers Do. There is a paradise that can be found A better life to bring us round And all we really need to do is see the Take it easy, take it slow To catch a fire and let it go I wanna give myself to you So we can live like lovers do Like lovers do
Incredible stuff. That's Heather Nova and the track titled Like Lovers Do that came from her album South. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 show. This is the uh, last part of my interview with Heather when I um, was asking her about a track that came or has come out on the new album or has been recorded on the new album. Um, the album's titled Pearl and this is a track that's titled Over the Fields and I was asking her about the background to this song and um, how it felt to record it and this was her answer. Heather, take it away. Well, you know, it's it's kind of what I what I do is, is dig down, um, down below <laughs> in where it's dark and under the surface and, and so it's usually the writing process that is is the difficult thing because that's where I'm kind of mining um, the emotional depths. And then by the time I get to the recording studio, I'm ready. I'm ready to sing it. And um, yeah, there, there's, there's some intensity on the record, of course, because uh, I believe in, in being raw in, in being truthful and, and, you know, singing about, the things that we don't necessarily talk about. So, um, but it feels good. <laughs> it feels good to do that. And I've, and I've found that, you know, I write a lot more songs than I record and inevitably the, the best ones are, are the ones that where I risk the most, the most emotionally. And so I kind of choose those ones um, and those are the ones that end up going out into the world and making the most connection with people as well, because that's really what music does, right? It, it connects us and makes us feel less alone in what we're going through. So the more raw the song is, the more it, it connects. Yes. Well, I, I, you know, going back to something I mentioned at the beginning when I was listening to, you know, the work of the Carpenters and then going into sort of people like Joy Division and the Smiths, there was... I could see there's a sort of a link of sort of this kind of slightly mo uh, melancholic romanticness that obviously, I, I you know, appeals to me. And when I suppose, you know, dear old Morrissey was singing some of those songs about the Smiths, about loneliness and sort of, you know, just dealing with alienation, it was like, oh, yes, that all rings true. And that's why I kind of loved those kind of songs so much. So, so and also I'd imagine with those personal songs, they almost can write themselves as well rather than kind of a, a struggle I, a little bit but I, I also feel like I mean it, overall I would say this record more than anything is quite uplifting and I, I think that yes there's melancholy yes there's intensity but I do feel like uh, as a writer there's always an element of hope I feel like songwriting itself is an is an act of hope in a way you know it's, it's a way of kind of fumbling your way towards the light um, through whatever it is that you're um, figuring out. And, and so I do think, you know, that, that this album feels good. I don't think it feels like, you know, uh, depressing. No, God, it's not depressing. It's not depressing. Um, no, I, it was just, it was just kind of, I just, I just was aware that some of the, the songs had such a sort of a depth to them and, and sort of a quality, which, which obviously is what, as you said, you know, they do connect with other people who can obviously relate to some of the subject matter that you're talking about. But uh, you know, like I said, the the opening track, the, the the wounds we bleed, is 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 a very sort of gutsy song, and it does remind me of those people like Juliana Hatfield and Kristen Hirsch and and people like that. You know, that has that kind of 
Yes, a certain kind of exciting intensity as as well as a certain amount of, I wouldn't say aggression, but you know what, you know, it does rock, doesn't it? Right, yes, hopefully yes. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is always a good one. And what would you just kind of lastly, what would you say to um, your, your 18-year-old self in, in sort of starting out in the creative process? I just wonder if there was some kind of key thing that you thought, God, that would have been just such a good thing to have well, known I would- when I started. I, I just would have said, have more fun. <laughs> I mean, uh, or you mean creatively, what would I have said to them? Um, not much. I think I did pretty pretty well creatively. But I, I would say personally, I would say don't worry so much. And like, um, yeah, don't worry what other people think. Have fun. And um, yeah, be not afraid. And um, quite a lot of people often say, enjoy yourself, lighten up, don't take yourself so seriously when I ask that incredibly interesting question. Anyway, that is the last part of my interview with Heather Nova. A huge thank you to Heather for giving me the time for that because we managed to coordinate it perfectly as, um, as she was um, in Bermuda at the time. Anyway, big thank you. And uh, like I said, she's got a nail mark called Pearl. Obviously, all her back catalogue is still available. And if you want to know any more information, you can go to her website, which is heathernova.com. And um, I would imagine she's probably got various social media platform sites as well. Anyway, if you want to contact me, you can via Facebook, Twitter. Just go to at C86show. And all these shows have also been archived on um, all the usual platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, Mixcloud and Podbean. But anyway, I will leave you with another track. This is also taken from the new album. And this was the track that we were talking about about over the fields have a great week
damage done Somehow you never found the key It's coming to me 